You are listening to the East Point Church Sermon Podcast. We're a church that exists to glorify God as a gospel community that is growing in faith and reaching the world. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. Good morning, East Point Church. How are you guys? Good to see you. Great to be with you. Go ahead and open up your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. And as you turn there, I'm just curious, how many of you in this room know when the last time you updated your resume was? How many of you? Come on now, right? Is this not the most vulnerable thing that we do as a human species, right? Like, I want you to put down all of your accomplishments on paper, the sum total of your achievements, and I want you to submit it to me, and I will tell you if you're worthy or not worthy. Right? Isn't that so vulnerable? How many of you have, right now, actively, you have an updated resume on file somewhere? Okay. How many of you have not touched a resume since, like, senior year of high school? Anybody? You're like, I'm going to have to get out the typewriter again to find my resume. Man, this is vulnerable. Right? Like, here's who I am. Am I good enough? Here's what I've done. Am I good enough? Here are the references that can speak to my character and the quality of my personhood. And so there are ways, I was reading an article this week, there are ways to spruce up your resume. You know what I'm talking about? There are articles that will teach you how to make your resume sound more impressive than it really is. How many of you have read those websites before? And those articles, yes, I know, you know what I'm talking about. Let me read you a few resume ideas that may help you boost your resume. And you figure out, see if you can figure out what this person did at their job, okay? Here's one. I coordinated company-wide two-way electronic communique. They did email. Okay? Listen to the next one. I managed systematic waste removal processes for the organization. I took out the trash, but it sounded so good, didn't it? Listen to him. I created ideal work conditions by daily monitoring and actively adjusting environmental systems at the office. They changed the thermostat. Mm -hmm. And maybe they got into one of those thermostat wars that happened in your office. You know what I mean? Man. How about this? I increased organizational enthusiasm through the creation and dissemination of pertinent short-form digital media. He sent memes to the office. All right? Come on, organizational enthusiasm? Hire that guy, all right? Listen to her. I was responsible for raising team morale through the coordination and well-timed delivery of professional-grade confections. What did she do? She brought snacks to the office, right? Friends, sometimes it doesn't matter how fancy you make it. It doesn't matter what words you put on your resume. Sometimes it's just impossible to hide how unqualified that resume is, right? Who are you? What is your worth? Are you worth our time and money? It's a resume. What if we each had a spiritual resume? What would be on your spiritual resume, huh? If you were to take the sum total of your achievements and your spiritual credentials and your faith qualifications, what would you put on your resume, right? And so you, I imagine you sitting down and you go, okay, I read my Bible sometimes. I volunteer 
at church for I don't even know how many hours. Um, I've given money to the church. And you're writing this out and you're reading your resume across the table from God. And you're like, maybe it's not as impressive as I thought it sounded. Um, Okay, let's just go to the interview phase. And so the Lord starts to interview and he goes, all right, question number one. um, How have you done with the Ten Commandments? I mean, well, I haven't broken all of them at the same time. Ah, right? This is not going well. And so he goes, okay, well, well, do you have any references? Like, do you have any references that can speak to the quality of your faith and of your character? And, and your two references are the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart. And you go on second thought, maybe I don't want you to call my references. Right? Friends, if you had a spiritual resume, how would you feel about having the sum total of your credentials put in paper and published for all to see, right? If we were to look at our faith resumes, I wonder, would we feel like we're having more going for us or more going against us? How is your faith resume? And so here's what we're going to do today, friends. We are going to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do if he were approached with such an underqualified spiritual resume? How would Jesus Christ himself, if he were standing here and he received your spiritual credentials, if he received the sum total of your faith achievements and character quality, how would he respond to that? What would he do when he received that? And so in order to find out, friends, we are going to start a new series this morning. And so we are in the book of Mark, and we've seen that Jesus has arrived on the scene, the arrival. We see him, he comes, and he's not just creating a one-man show, he's building this movement. And so he's building disciples, he's making disciples, recruiting people and training them so that there is a movement that outlasts his time on earth. And then we saw in season three that he is greater than all of the things this world throws at us. And he and his movement are going, and they're confronting darkness and sin and death and sickness, and he is greater even than the storms, and even greater than hunger, and greater than the religious traditions of the land. And now as we continue our story here in the book of Mark, we're going to come to our series that we call Unveiled. Because the person of Jesus, the nature of his mission, the content of his message, is starting to come into greater focus. We're starting to have some aha, light bulb moments. And as we get greater clarity on who this man is, it's as if the veil is being lifted. And we're going to carry this series through Easter as our community comes together and we lift the veil and the identity of God's Savior is proclaimed for all to see. Who is Jesus? It's about to be unveiled. And so this morning, friends, we are going to see Jesus going abroad. Jesus is going to travel far from home. And as he does this, as he travels, he's going to encounter people whose resumes are less than impressive. He's going to see people on this journey whose spiritual resumes are almost embarrassing. But we're going to ask ourselves, what does Jesus do with these applicants? How does Jesus respond to these credentials? And so here we go. I'm going to read the whole passage to you, Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 24. Why don't you follow along? And here's the deal, guys. This is God's word. 
And so we open up our Bibles and then we open up our hearts filled with expectancy that every time we go here, he speaks to us. God never sends us home empty-handed, amen? So here we go, follow along. This is God's word for you this morning. Mark chapter seven, beginning in verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now, the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet, even the, do the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. This is God's word for East Point Church this morning. And so here's how we like to do it. We're going to go back to the beginning and we're just going to go line by line and see what God is saying to us. All right. So let's look. Verse 24. Look how this story starts. And from there, he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. Yet he could not be hidden. Scene number one. Jesus travels far from home to those who are far from God. Jesus travels far from home to those far from God. You see, any time in your Bible that you have city or region indicators, any time they start to draw your attention to the geography, you should turn to the back of your Bible and open up the maps. That's why you have maps in the back of your Bible. And so they want us to pay attention. Don't skip them. And so look here. We are in Israel. Everybody say hi to Israel. Yeah, he doesn't like you either. Okay. And so the Jordan River is here. Everything to the west of the Jordan River, this is Israel, butted up against the Mediterranean Sea. All right. And so you've probably heard of Jerusalem. That's in the south. That's the capital in the region of Judea. Then there in the middle, there's the region of Samaria that nobody likes. A lot of racism going on between Samaritans. You've heard of the Good Samaritan. Aha, right there. And then in the north, this is Galilee. And here's what you need to realize. Almost all of Jesus' ministry happened just within a few square miles around the lake up here. This is where Jesus is doing ministry. He has come to Jews. He was ministering and preaching to God's covenant people, people who were familiar with the law and the prophets, people who were familiar with the covenants of God and the promises. He's speaking to God's covenant people. Well, if you turn the page, or, or even if you just look up from our current passage, you'll see that we just left Jesus having some conflict with the religious leaders. And so get this, Jesus walks into their synagogue, and he starts calling them out. And he says, your hearts are far from God, and you're filled with evil. You see, they were... They were putting the traditions of man above the word of God. But because they're ethnic descendants of Abraham, we're good. You see, they gave themselves a false sense of security because they thought my ethnic, my, my ethnic heritage is enough to cover up what I'm doing. And so Jesus shows up and he goes, hey, listen, listen, listen. 
You're calling those people, the ethnic outsiders, you're calling them unclean. But what really makes a person unclean is what's in their heart. So you tell me, who's really the unclean ones? They didn't like that. They didn't like that. And so Jesus, it says he went from there and he now forces himself out. He runs and he leaves. Kind of in a huff, the text gives the indication. Kind of leaves and he goes into Syrophoenicia, into an unclean region. Right? Who's really unclean, Pharisees? I'll show you. And now he's going to an unclean region. It says he went from there to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Tyre and Sidon. Friends, these are not just non-Jews, okay? So in, in the New Testament, a not, somebody who's not a Jew is called a Gentile. These people were not just Gentiles. They're pagans. This was a special breed of heathen. This is a type of pagan that made the other pagans look like good saints, right? Like they were so bad. The hostility that existed between Israel and Syrophoenicia was crazy. And so Jesus, if you turn to Matthew chapter 11, Jesus actually puts these people in the same category as Sodom and Gomorrah when he's talking. Josephus, one of the historians of that day, he said this of, those, of the pagans in Tyre, they were notoriously our bitterest enemies. Wow. And so why do we pay attention to that? Why are we tuning into the geography here? Because Jesus a Jew, Jesus, God's Savior King, is entering into a pagan region filled with those who are far from God and antagonistic to his people. Jesus, why, why are you going there among those people? I don't know. We're going to find out. But he goes, and we can't help but wonder, how effective is that going to be? Jesus, what can you possibly expect to achieve in a region that is filled with people who are culturally and religiously uneducated? What are you going to do among people who didn't grow up in God's ways, who aren't familiar with God's word? Well, look for yourself. He goes there, and what happens? He could not be hidden. Friends, we've seen this before where Jesus, he rolls into a town, and he wants to maybe have a day off, right? His plan is, I'm just going to be off the grid. I'm going to lay low. I'm going to refresh in the presence of my father. But before you realize it, word has gotten out and somebody posted on their Twitter the address of Jesus' vacation home. And so he opens up the door in the morning to grab the paper and there is a line out the door and around the corner. And he goes, well, it's time to go to work. And so we've seen this before where Jesus is mobbed. And so it's happening again, yes, but don't forget it's happening among pagans. We've seen this happen in Israel, but friends, we're realizing that even here among pagans, the mercy and the ministry of the Messiah has drawn and attracted the hungry and needy. And as we see, just even this introductory verse, we see, friends, and we realize that there is something beautiful. There is something intrinsically attractive about Jesus that even non-religious pagans who are far from God are attracted to him and his message. He could not be hidden wherever he's proclaimed. And so you see, we're sitting here in 2023, and we don't, we don't live with these religious categories of insider Jew and outsider Gentile, right? Like that's, 
if you think of it, we're all technically outsider Gentiles. We're not Jewish. But we do have something similar, I think, in our day and age, right? There are some of us who maybe we're not Jewish, but we grew up as church people. How many of you grew up familiar with the Bible, familiar with the things of God? How many of you say that's your, your heritage? Yeah, okay, about, about half of you, great. And then there are others among us who say, dude, I can relate to those people in the Bible because I am not familiar with the Bible. I didn't grow up with this. I don't know the stories and promises of God. How many of you say you didn't grow up with this? Right, okay, the other half of you. And so here's the picture, friends, we're seeing. Church people or not, pious or pagan alike, there is something about Jesus that wherever he goes, he attracts people, insiders and outsiders. Even those who grew up on the outside are drawn to Jesus. Side note, this is our great confidence. This is the source of our boldness. We believe that wherever the real Jesus is proclaimed, that wherever the person and the message of Jesus is held up, that there is something so beautiful that when he's proclaimed, friends, it doesn't matter if we try, he cannot be hidden. In your life, in your circle of influence, as you share the person and message of Jesus, friends, you will see how he attracts insiders and outsiders alike, pious and pagan, saints and sinners. Jesus wants them all. And so they're coming. He's far from home among those who are far from God. And now as our story continues, we see that somebody far from God is coming to him. Look at the next scene. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of the daughter. Scene number two, a pagan mother comes to God's son. We hear her request here, right? There's a woman and we're told that her daughter is in trouble. Moms, get ready. You can understand, you can empathize, right? This mom, she comes and we learn that yet again, as we've seen through the book of Mark so far, yet again, the kingdom of darkness is taking prisoners. And we learn that her little daughter had an unclean spirit. An agent of Satan, an evil spirit, has taken residence in her life and is taking her prisoner. She's afflicted. She is tormented by the powers of darkness. And as a result, there is pain in every aspect of her life. This minion of Satan has put this little girl in hell. And so we've seen Jesus. We've seen that when Jesus came to earth, he didn't just step into a neutral zone. He stepped into a turf war. We've seen that Jesus has come as God's king to free the captives. And so apparently, word has gotten out. Even in pagan country, because this pagan, she's heard of him. You see, the the stories have made it all the way to her pagan mops group. And as she's sitting there with other mothers of preschoolers, she's hearing stories about people in Israel who also had little boys and little girls afflicted by sickness and by Satan. And they found freedom because of this man named Jesus. And she hears these stories and it births hope. It's not just hope, friends but hope made real because now she hears or she saw in her timeline that that same Jesus that she's heard of, he's in town. 
And so she does what every single mom in this room would do. She runs and she finds that address. And look at the desperation that she comes. The, only the desperation that a mother could understand. She comes and she falls down at his feet. <clears throat> Hi, Jesus. My name is, that's not even important right now, but I would like to submit a formal request on behalf of my little girl. And if you could possibly take into consideration her need, I would love it if you might be able to offer her probably just a small token of your affection. No, she is not put together. She is not prim and proper. Girl's making a scene. She comes in and she falls at the feet of this Jewish Messiah. You see, Mark, those of you who are fast-paced like me, you appreciate Mark because he's just giving you the, the essential details. If you want to see the juicy details, go to Matthew, and he tells you how much she was making a scene. And the disciples are literally like, security! And they're like trying to drag her away. And she's like nails clawing. And they're like, no, save me! Like, she is begging. She is pleading earnestly on behalf of her little daughter. The zeal that only a mother could muster. And so Mark, he's telling us, and listen to the language that he used. He goes, she fell down at his feet, begged him on behalf of her little daughter. Little daughter. Come on, Bible readers. We've been going through the book of Mark. Little daughter, where have we? And we just turn the page to chapter 5. And we go, whoa, this is nearly identical language. There was a man named Jairus. And Jairus fell down at his feet, begged him earnestly to heal his little daughter. And so Mark, he uses this identical language, and it clicks for us. Jesus has done this before. Oh, this is, this is just another miracle. This is a no-brainer, right? We're, we're almost tempted to just skip ahead, go to the next scene, because we already know how this one ends. We've seen Jesus do this before. This must be a rerun. All right, moving on. Before you do, friends, before you assume that this is just another little girl in need of healing, check. Before you assume, we already know how this one ends, check. Notice the major exception. Yes, Jesus has done this before. But that was in Israel. Yes, Jesus has extended his mercy and his ministry before, but that was for those who were children of Abraham. He's done that before for those who were God's covenant people. And friends, we're not in Israel anymore. We are far from home among those who are far from God. And so just in case you forgot we're not in Kansas anymore, Mark, he actually pauses the story and he whispers to the readers. In case you thought we were just doing another miracle, he goes, now, right? Like he, he's like literally pausing the story. He goes, now, hey, don't forget, now, just, just to make sure you're noticing here, don't forget what her credentials are. She's a woman in a man's world. Not only is she a woman, she's a Gentile. She's a pagan woman. Not, not only is she not Jewish, she's a special breed of pagan. She's a Syrophoenician, a heathen of heathens. And no, she didn't relocate there for work or for real estate. No, she was born and raised straight out of Tyre. She's a pagan through and through. You see, Mark is capturing in one little verse just how little she has going for her. In one little verse, he just summarized 
just how far she is from God. And so, yes, we've seen Jesus do these people. But friends, that was for a Jewish man born and raised in the faith, a religious leader, the president of a local synagogue. <laughs> Impressive. But what does Jesus do for those who are Gentile women? A Syrophoenician, a special brand of pagan born and raised among the heathen. How will Jesus respond to someone with such poor credentials? How does Jesus respond to someone with such an unimpressive faith resume? How many of you guys are feeling really good right now about your faith resume? Right? What do you have going for yourself, spiritually speaking? How many of us can honestly say that we would stand confident if the thoughts of our hearts and the, medita- the thoughts of our minds and the meditations of our hearts were laid bare and printed and published for all to see? You see, friends, here, here's the thing. We, we hear Mark pause the story and whisper, right? And I just can't help but, like, what would Mark whisper about me if he were telling my story? So there was this man named Sam Cassis. Pause. Now, you got to know this. This guy struggles with. Hey, there once was this gal, but hey, before I tell you more about her, like, she's a... Hey, you know, there's this girl, and, but, but you got to know, she's the kind of person who, you don't want to read it. How's your faith resume, friends? What do you have going for yourself, spiritually speaking? Here's the starting reality, and it's offensive. So, so I'm going to say it, but I love you. Listen, the reality is, the Bible is very clear. None of our resumes are impressive to God. I love you. Like, like you, are, you are a great person. I'm sure you've done really good things in your life. And I'm sure that you're a great friend. And I'm sure you take care of your children and you cut the grass every Saturday. But here's what the Bible says. None of our resumes are impressive before God's presence. None of our resumes would stand a chance in an interview with the Creator. It's very clear. The Bible says this. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We often joke here, we want to put a banner out in front of the church, right? Like, hey, welcome, we're messed up, right? We're just keeping it real. Friends, like, listen, there are some of you in this room who you feel insecure and you're even clutching your resume going, I hope nobody sees this because the person next to me, wow, she's something. She's not. And she'll be the first to tell you. None of us in this room, nobody sitting in your row has something that makes them impressive before God. We are all in the same boat. As, our, as one of our elders, Chad, said this morning, the ground is level at the cross. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so, friends, Mark, he is outlining for us just how little this woman has going for us. He is highlighting her weakness, not so that we can look down our nose at her, but so that we can look in the mirror at ourselves. Because you are the Syrophoenician woman. I am the Syrophoenician woman. I am her, okay? We are all her. We are as undeserving and far from God as this pagan. And if every thought of our minds and every motive of our hearts were laid bare, we would make her look religious. 
friends, we all have way more against us than we have going for us, spiritually speaking. And so here's where the story gets good. Here's where we lean in. We can't miss this final scene because here's the point, friends. We lean in here with this question. How does Jesus respond to someone so clearly undeserving of anything from God? That's the question. How will Jesus respond to those who are so far away from God? How will Jesus respond to someone with your credentials? Well, let's find out. Let's look at the final scene here, verse 27. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Scene three, the head of the family reveals the way to the table. The head of the family, Jesus Christ, reveals the way to the table. And so Jesus, he responds to this desperate woman's request with a parable. And at first it sounds kind of harsh, right? You're like, ah, who are you and what have you done with my Jesus? Who is speaking here, right? Like, maybe like Jesus was like, I'm going to take a nap. Peter, you're in charge, right? And Peter's just like dressed like Jesus. Hey, scram, you dog, right? What's going on here, right? At first blush, this seems harsh. It almost seems like Jesus is is put off by her request, right? Like, go away, scram, right? That's what it seems like. But here's the key. Context, context context. We've been reading Mark for seven chapters, and we know how Jesus uses parables, right? Jesus, he uses this teaching technique. He uses these these slightly cryptic parables as a way to expose the disinterested, but to invite the hungry. You see, when Jesus puts up a parable, it's like a puzzle that reveals who will lean in, who will dig in for the nugget of life-changing wisdom within And so this parable is not meant to shoo her away, but to draw her deeper. This parable is not meant to discourage her and degrade her, but to invite her closer. And so he says this parable. He goes, hey, in my family, it's not right to take the freshly baked bread and as the children are sitting at the table to just throw the whole thing to the dogs, period. And he stops right there. In other words, he's saying, is it right for the mercy and the ministry of the Messiah that has come for the children of God, is it right to be given to someone who's not in the family? Is it right for someone who's not in the family to partake in this? There's the parable. And like every other parable, we're watching. Will she lean in or will she walk away? Will she, will she press forward or will she be easily thwarted? And with a twinkle in his eye, I imagine Jesus watching her carefully. And he's essentially saying, you don't really expect someone so far from God to receive anything from him, do you? You don't really expect someone who has so little to bring to the table to eat from it, do you? 
You don't really expect someone so far from God to have anything to do with him and his family, do you? Hey, friend, East Point Church, do you? You don't really expect somebody with your resume to have anything to do with God's people, do you? And so look how she responds, friends. Her response is stunning. And I want you to notice how she speaks in the parable. Like all in Israel, every time Jesus uses a parable, people are stymied and mystified. And here we find this pagan woman on, first, on a first hearing. She gets it so much so that she responds with the language of this spiritual metaphor. And so she goes, okay, okay, Jesus, I smell what you're stepping in. I'm picking up what you're putting down. But let me tell you this. First of all, yes, Lord. There's a great way to start, huh? Everybody say, yes, Lord. Yeah, you right. That's what she's saying, right? You, you didn't have to repeat it, but it's cool that you did. It's like, there's your, there's your easiest prayer. You write, amen, all right? There it is. You're on a bed at night? Yes, Lord, you write, amen, okay? Put that on a t-shirt. Yes, Lord, you're right. The children do eat first. You're right. I'm not resentful. I'm not defensive. I can admit I don't have a spot at the table. Jesus, you're right. I, I'm not a child of the covenant, and I don't pretend to have anything going for me. Yet. She goes, yet, Lord, sticking with your metaphor, here's how things work in my household. When I lay that fat piece of sourdough bread on the table, and we're having a smorgasbord at Thanksgiving, in my household, here's how it works. When the food is so abundant, my dogs stay underfoot because they know that inevitably some of that goodness is going to fall off the table. In my house, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Right? She goes, what, I, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, Jesus, what I'm saying is I'm pretty sure that there is such an abundance of what you're dishing up that even a dog like me would be satisfied from that table. <sighs> Who is this woman? Chutzpah, right? Jesus says, you don't actually believe that I have anything to offer the likes of you, do you? And she says, as a matter of fact, I do. Yes, I believe. I dare to believe that the mercy and the ministry of the Messiah can extend even to me. Jesus, I believe that your grace and mercy are so abundant that it can reach someone as woefully far from God as me. Do you hear her? She's like, Jesus, I humbly recognize how far from God I am, but I'm coming boldly anyway. Not because I believe I deserve it but because I believe that your grace is greater. Jesus, I've heard about you, she's saying. I've heard about you, and I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you can do for me what you said you can do. I believe, Lord, that in spite of my sins, in spite of my failures, in spite of my spiritual death, that I can throw myself on your grace and mercy completely and be caught. Who is this lady? Guts, right? Boldness, daring, fortitude, pluckiness. Or there's another word that the Bible uses called faith. It's called faith. She sees it. She gets it. The veil has been lifted and she believes it. 
And Jesus, friends, we know this by now, Jesus always responds to faith. And so look what he says. For this statement, you may go your way. For this statement. What, was there magic words that she said? Was there a special incantation? Is Jesus like a genie that said, ah, you said the magic formula. I will grant you three boons. No. What he, he's not talking about the statement. What he's saying is, your, within your small statement, I see great faith. Because of your statement, because of your faith, you will receive what you're looking for. Friends, the key to connecting to Jesus is faith. She believes that Jesus can do for her what he said he can do. And Jesus responds and he says, you believe me? Well done. Well done, because faith in me is never misplaced. I will never let you down. You can bank on me every time. You will find what your soul is longing for in me. Put your faith in me. And she did. And as a result, this woman who started off our story as a dog under the table is walking away as a child of God, feasting from the mercy and grace that is served up on the table. And as, as a pagan Gentile receives from Jesus, in spite of her resume, in spite of her credentials, as this pagan receives from Jesus, in spite of her past and her failures, the veil is lifting for us in this room. And in this woman, we start to recognize the scope and the nature of Jesus' mission. This is who Jesus is. He has come for those who are impossibly far from God. This is more than a trip abroad, friends. This is a statement to the world. Jesus came here to tell the world those who are far from God can come near by faith. Those who are far from God, who are woefully inadequate, those of you in this room who you know better than anyone, just how sad this is. He says, I have good news for you. Those who are far need not remain far. Those who have been on the outside need not remain on the outside. Those of you who thought you have nothing to do with this because you're just not him and you're not like her, Jesus is saying, do you see it? Do you believe it? That those who are far from God can come near by faith. Mark is proclaiming the good news to a Gentile world. He's proclaiming the good news to insiders in Easton and outsiders in Talbot County, to pagans in this community, and to pious people in the next. Those who are far from God come near by faith. And so this morning, friends, I picture Jesus speaking to you. And with a twinkle in his eye, he says, you don't, you don't actually believe that have come for you, do you? You don't actually believe that, that you can stand to receive and be a child of God, do you? Do you believe that somebody with your mistakes, with somebody with your regrets, somebody with your resume, you don't believe that that will fly with me, do you? 
Friends, after hearing from Jesus, after seeing the beauty of Jesus, may our hearts scream in unison, yes, I dare to believe that even someone like me could sit at the table. Yes, I dare to believe that there's a spot for me in the family of God, not because of anything I've done, but because Jesus' grace and mercy is greater. Yes, I dare to believe that Jesus is a friend of sinners. Friends, do you believe? Do you believe that he is enough? See, in this family, our past doesn't define us. Our successes and our failures don't determine our seat at the table. Jesus came far from home. He came from heaven so that those who are far from God could be brought near. You simply need to come in faith. Do you believe? Do you dare to believe that he can do what he said he can do? And so, friend, if you're here and you're, and you're clutching your resume and you know what you know what you know, if you believe that there's room for you because of God's great grace, you just tell him. And you cry out, just like the woman did. You cry out in faith. You cry out with longing. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus can bring you into the family, in that moment, do you know what Jesus does? He responds to you in the same way that he responded to this woman. What you've been looking for is now yours. Rise, child. He looks to you, friends, and he responds to your faith by giving you a new heart. And that old, black, desensitized, crusty thing that was in our chest, he rips it out and he gives us a heart of flesh. And we're alive again, spiritually speaking. He comes and he takes our record and he rips it up and he gives us a new level of righteousness. And he says, you're dressed in my righteousness. You're clean. He gives you a new purpose. He gives you a new family. He gives you new gifts to contribute to the kingdom and to live for something bigger than yourselves. If you just believe, do you dare to believe? Put your faith in Jesus and you can come near. I also want to talk to those of you in the room who you're saying, I'm a believer. I've come into the family. But here's what happens, Christian. You know it's true because I know it's true. There are times in your life where you make mistakes as a Christian. And you allow yourself to become distanced from the Lord. Because you go, ah, you know what, I'm not where I should. I've been a Christian for 10 years and I still haven't read my Bible all the way through cover to cover. I've been a Christian for five years and I'm still struggling with this. I've been a Christian for this long and I still end up in a rehab center. I've been a Christian for this long and I still got divorced. I've been a Christian and I'm still struggling with this. And we get into these modes where we go, you know what, on second thought, maybe I should go clean this up and then I'll commune with my Father in heaven. You who begun by grace, you who entered into the family by faith alone, are you now relying on the works of your resume? Christian, have you forgotten the beauty of grace? Are you allowing your failures to bring you too low? Or are you allowing your successes to make you feel too good? May the Syrophoenician woman remind all of us, far or near, outsider or insider, that there's only one way to Jesus. There's only one way to sit at the table, and that is through faith. Do you believe? you believe and if you believe let's tell the lord father we love you lord 
We love you, God, that in spite of who we are, that you call us children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so, Father, I pray for my friends here who maybe they walked into this room just aware of how far they were. Bring them near. Save them. Indwell them with your spirit. Raise them up as a child of heaven because they believe that you are enough and then grow them more. And then, Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in the faith who have allowed their recent successes or failures to define them. Every day, Father, may they remind themselves that nothing I do can make you love me more and nothing I do can make you love me less. I am a perfectly loved and accepted child of God. And may we rest in that identity and live out of it, Lord. Thank you for saving us. May the message and the person of Jesus be proclaimed from our lives, from this community, all over the shore, and all over the world, so that you, beautiful Savior, would be glorified. We pray this in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us for this week's sermon podcast. My name is Daniel, and I'm the music and creative pastor here at East Point Church. And if you were challenged, encouraged, or impacted in any way by this week's sermon, we would love to hear about it. It's your stories that encourage us and what we do, and we just want to celebrate what God is doing in your life. So you can go ahead and share with us at podcast at epeason.com. Also, make sure that you subscribe to our channel to stay up to date with the latest sermons. Have a great week.